opportunity to meet together. And I just want to say thanks that we get to get together. And uh, when we gather, something awesome happens and that you gather with us. And so Jesus, we welcome you right here in the middle of all this and all of us. We ask God that you would lead us, you would guide us. God, we pray your wisdom tonight. Pray your understanding. We pray that you would breathe into this time, breathe into this room, breathe into each one of us. You want to receive your breath, your inspiration of your Holy Spirit, God, have your way. So, God, be glorified tonight. Teach us. I pray that we'd respond to you. Ask God, again, have your way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to 1 Kings chapter 3. Going to go back there. We were just there last week. Going to head back to 1 Kings chapter 3. If you need a Bible, they're located on your table, hopefully. If you have a digital version, that's handy. Reminder uh, for our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature with Bible study, and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com. That's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You go there to that webpage, and there's a button that you can toggle, and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you. could be just saying hi. Or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. 1 Kings chapter 3, and I need a volunteer to read verse 6. Alright, thanks. Now, you're going to notice something in this verse that we talked about last week. Uh, you're going to notice something like last week we were talking about Solomon and the way he was described and taking into account uh, his life not being perfect, but he was still described a certain way. And you see David being described a certain way here. 
even though his life wasn't perfect either. And I want you to just think back, if you can remember back a, a whole week ago, when we were talking about this idea that you can be described a certain way. In other words, walking or journeying or living in a lifestyle of progress, you can be described a certain way without being perfect. You remember this? Okay. And the reason that's important is because you see this again and again in the Scripture. You see people being described a certain way, but if you were to look at it by your standard, whatever that is that you made up, but if you look at it by your standard and let's say you're a very critical person, a very hard person, you'll look and you'll say, oh, it says David was uh, upright and he was righteous and all these things, but, well, you know about the life of David. He wasn't perfect. How can they say that? Well, that's God. That's the way God works. That's the principle behind the way he is. And so you may need to adjust your overly critical view of how you're going to choose to see not only other people, but the way you choose to see yourself. And I want to encourage you toward that. And I want to just get that out of the way as we start this, because again, this is a similar thing as to what we looked at last week. Solomon was not a perfect man, and yet he was described in a certain way. You read about David, who was not a perfect man, and yet again, he's described in a certain way. And so I want you to just continue to consider that over your life and consider that over the way that you are seeing and choosing to judge and choosing to understand things, not only about others, but about yourself. And I want you to think about that. Now, Solomon is known for wisdom. Now, how do you get that wisdom? He asked for it, right. And so he asked for this wisdom. And if you want to look at that, uh, you go to 1 Kings uh, chapter 4 and verse 29. Kind of interesting there. It describes it a little bit. So you have to skip ahead in another chapter there. And uh, somebody want to read that? 429. Alright, and so that describes, it's afterwards, but it describes the kind of wisdom and the, the enormity of the wisdom that God gave to Solomon. Now Solomon was asking for wisdom out of concern for himself and for the, the nation. In other words, he was the king and he was really concerned that he was going to have to rule over God's people. In fact, when, and if you read the, the interchange that's taking place, he refers to himself as a little child when he's describing the way he saw himself and what he was being called to do. And so between who he was, and he was literally somewhere between the ages of 12 and 20 when he was called on to become king. And so there was that, and then you look at the enormity of what he's being called to do. He's being called to take over a kingdom, the greatest kingdom that the Israelites had ever known and ever been a part of. And that was the kingdom of David. And so he was being called upon to take over this this kingdom, 
while at the same time being somewhere between the ages of 12 and 20. Alright? And so he cries out, God's like, what, you, what can I give you? Well, I want wisdom. Why? Because he was really concerned about it. He really had a legitimate concern that he wasn't ready. He had a legitimate concern that he didn't have enough experience. He had a legitimate concern that he didn't know enough. And he was probably right. I mean, that's what legitimate means. And so, we're in, a, in a really kind of legit way, he looks at God and he says, I'm, I'm just a little child. I need your help. Now, I want you to learn something from that. Learn something from Solomon before he is endowed with wisdom from on high. Right, before he receives the download of wisdom, the inspiration that God is going to give him, learn something from his attitude right there. What would you say about his attitude? Is he accurate? Is he honest? Does he have a legitimate concern? Yeah, and he's not afraid to admit it. You see, prideful people get nowhere in the kingdom. They don't. They get nowhere. And if they get somewhere, somehow, some way, it gets messed up. That's just the way it is. It's the way God intended it. It's the way God has made it. It's the way God works. Solomon, and you can look at, you can say a lot of things about Solomon, but he had enough sense about him to just be honest. He had enough sense about him to look at and say, these are my weaknesses. He had enough sense about him to look at himself and say, hey, I need some help. He had enough sense to look at himself and say, hey, I'm nothing but a small child. And in comparison to what he was called to do, he was a small child. And so he asked God for what he needed. And God answered and honored that beyond measure. Beyond measure. Okay, somebody look and let's cross-reference here to Matthew chapter 18. Let's look at the teaching of Jesus here. Matthew 18. And I want you to put this teaching of Jesus in context to what we see in Solomon here. And maybe gain some understanding about what Jesus was talking about. Matthew chapter 18. I need a volunteer to read verses 2, 3, and 4. He called the little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, we are taking the lowly position of this child as the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Alright. Now, let's, let's, get some, let's get some understanding. Let's glean some understanding from what we see happening with Solomon and then what we see Jesus teaching. Because Jesus is teaching about two things. He's teaching about you and me, and he's teaching about the kingdom. And the relationship between you and me and the kingdom of God. That's what he's teaching about there. He makes a statement. He says, you need to become like a little child. Well, how like a little child? Now think about this for a second. Whining and complaining? Stomping your feet because you didn't get your way? Saying no to everything because you learned the word no and that's what you're going to say now for the next six months? Is that what you, is that, is that what he means? No, really, think about this for a second. Because people look at that and say, well, it's got to be like a little child. 
Oh, that means I've got to act like a little child. Now, I want you to think about this. Put it in context to Solomon. What was Solomon saying by saying that he was nothing but a little child? What was he saying to God? Help me. I need your help. And unless we begin to understand who we really are, unless we really begin to understand our point of need, unless we really begin to to take hold of this idea that we don't have it, but we need it, we never enter the kingdom of God. See, our relationship to the kingdom of God is contingent on us understanding our need and understanding who we really are. Little kids need help. If they want to get up somewhere and they, they're not they're not tall enough to get there, or they want to get up somewhere and they can't climb up, what do they do? What does this mean? Pick me up. Right? This is the universal kid. Pick me up. I'm going to get up there. Or they let you know when they're hungry. Or they let you know when they're thirsty. Or they let you know when they're tired. They they let you know. Because they're honest about who they are and about what they need. And if we're going to enter the kingdom of God in any real or powerful way, that's how we're going to enter. I'm nothing but a small child. I need your help. I can't do this. I need your help. You see, taking hold of that attitude and taking hold of that place, it requires us to not be prideful. It requires us to to not be uh, trying to fool somebody. Or trying to be something we're not. It requires us to actually realistically admit our need and receive help in whatever form it comes in. So Solomon, he asked, he said, all right, well, I need help. And he makes his request, he he makes his request, his beg of God. He says, yeah, wisdom. Well, you know, James 1.5 tells us if you lack wisdom, what do you need to do? Ask. So learn from Solomon. Learn from Solomon. Everybody thinks, he's, you know, it's like, well, what's the best thing you could ask for? Wisdom, right. Well, hey, learn a lesson, okay? You think he's so smart? Well, then learn a lesson from him. Because I, I lack wisdom. What do I need to do? Ask. You lack wisdom. What do you need to do? Ask. Well, first where you ask, you need to recognize you need wisdom. That you don't have it. You need to recognize that you don't have it together. You don't have all the understanding. You don't have all the the means by which you need to do what God's called you to do or what's in front of you to do. Every parent that's faced with raising a child should be crying out for wisdom. Seriously. Because we are ill-prepared. And we've been ill-prepared the whole time. We need to ask. We need to ask. And I don't care what it is we're called to do. 
if you approach that like a little child, I don't know what's going on, I don't know what I'm doing. There's lots of help that God wants to give. Ask. Come with the right heart and come with the right attitude. And come with honesty. Come with transparency. Come with vulnerability. You come with pride. You get nothing. I mean it. Nothing. And so, he speaks of the kindness of God. In fact, he says, you're very, God is very kind. My Bible says very kind. Not just kind, very kind. Which means more. You know, like some languages, they just repeat the word. Yeah, kind, kind. Right. You know, we have very kind in English, so we say very kind. Yeah. So, but what's interesting about that is that, is, is that Solomon understood. He got it. He gets it. He knows. He understands. God is very, very kind. The kindness of God is released into our life as we begin to find ourselves at a place of vulnerability and need. Now, what happens when you dream? Anybody know? Your brain goes into some kind of mode. I don't. You don't need to get too technical here, but usually, if you're dreaming, you're asleep, right? Yeah. And and what happens when you're asleep? It's like you you go you got like mini dead, right? You know what I'm saying? You know. I mean, you wake you can wake up and stuff, but I mean, you just lay down, and your body kind of shuts down and repairs. And so you close your eyes, hopefully, and you sleep, unless you're some freak that sleeps with their eyes open. <laughs> if you know anybody like that, watch them. You keep a steak handy. <laughs> yeah, I like Delmonico. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, but you think about it, it's like, all right, so you go to sleep, and... You're not really actively thinking anymore like you do during the day. I mean, you can put a pad and a paper and some math problems beside your bed, but, you know, generally at night they're not going to magically get done because you're not really engaged in that kind of thought when you're sleeping or, or other types of things like that. And so, uh, but other things happen when you sleep. Like, what's this, so something that happens when you sleep? You drool. Okay, that's good. What else? Hmm? You could snore. Got a breathing problem? You got to snore? Hmm? Heart slows down. Breathing slows down. Yeah. Your body goes into a repair mode. Alright? Something happens with your digestive system. Something happens with all kinds of things going in your body. Alright? Now, some people... Who here gets cold when you sleep? Like you start getting cold, so you're always getting on more... Okay, who gets hot when they sleep? Some people do. Okay, but your body goes into a different kind of mode. Alright? That's the way it does. But what happens internally sometimes? It actually happens all the time, but we remember it sometimes, right? We dream. We dream. Now, if you look at the story of Solomon and God, 
and, and maybe you never really thought about this before, but Solomon has an encounter with God is in a dream. Alright? And, and so you're being asked questions in a dream. Are you fully cognizant in a dream of, of your whole everything in your brain going 100 miles an hour? No, you're not. Okay? You're not. In fact, they can, they've done studies or whatever and, you know, they look at the physiological changes. Some of you have watches that will tell you when you go into REM sleep or when you're in deep sleep or however many minutes or hours of deep sleep you get at night or whatever it is. You, know, you have physiological changes that take place. And so in dreams, you may be asked questions, but you wouldn't answer those questions the same way you would if you were awake. You, you do things in your dreams you wouldn't necessarily do if you were awake. Like fly. All right, sometimes you fly in your dreams or... Or, or sometimes you can't run to save your life. You ever have those kind of like nightmare dreams where you're trying to run but you just keep falling down? I hate those. Not uncommon though. Or you may have certain things that you can do when you're dreaming that you can't do when you're awake. I mean, all this, it's the nature of dreams. Well, Solomon is talking to God in a dream and making decisions in a dream. He doesn't have everything going on like he would if he was awake. He's not thinking the same way as he would if he was awake. His body is not the same as it was or would be if he was awake. He is in a weakened condition. Well, what did Paul say about that? In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9, 10, and 11. Some of you might know this off the top of your head. What did Paul say about that? Yeah, he says when he's when when he's weak or he's in need. What what is it really? There's a strength in that. All right, somebody read that. Second Corinthians twelve, nine, ten, eleven. principle here, and, and if you, can you relate this to the children principle a little bit? Do you, you kind of understand what he's saying here? He's recognizing his weaknesses, but he recognizes something about the kindness of God, that he's very kind. And it's in his weakness Paul figures out. Now Paul was a, Paul was a, an intellectually Strong man. Paul was someone that worked with his hands. And so was likely somewhat physically strong. He was someone that had survived shipwrecks and beatings. I mean, the guy was beaten with rods. If you don't know what that is, look it up. He had survived lashings. He had survived stonings. He was not a weak man. Physically. But what is he saying here in 2 Corinthians 12? He's saying that I'm going to boast in my weaknesses. 
Because he had weaknesses, and he knew he did. And honestly and, and vulnerably, he did have weaknesses. He said, I'm going to boast those. Why? Because when my body is weak, when my mind is weak, when I am weak, then I am stronger. I am strong. Through Jesus. He recognized something. He learned something. He, he took something to heart that he learned from Jesus. And that is when he was weak, then he was strong. When I'm a child, I'm strong. When I'm weak, I'm strong. When I'm physically weak, when I'm mentally weak, intellectually weak, then I am strong. And I want you to think and put that in the context of dreams. Why does God speak through dreams so much? Because you're weak. It's because you're weak physically and you're weak in your mind. And you're, you're in a perfect position at that point to actually just listen and actually hear what He might have to say. You're not strong enough to, to run away or strong enough to turn the television on to distract yourself or strong enough to pick up your phone and start playing a game to distract yourself from what God wants to say to you. You're just laying in bed, all weak in the mind, weak in the body. Your, your respiration rate's down. Your, your heart rate's down. You're just laying there. You're ripe for the picking. And then God speaks. He reveals. He shows you something. Powerful. Powerful. God speaks through dreams. He speaks through our dreams because we're weak. And if you can learn the lesson, if you can learn the lesson, and maybe you can put yourself in a position to fellowship with Him a little more often than just when you're asleep. Maybe. Only if you believe it, though. Solomon had to be taught. God speaks, God moves, God answers in his sleep. Paul had to be taught when I'm weak that I'm strong. You see, this releases the kindness of God into your experience. The kindness of God is released into your experience when you're weak. I'll say that again. The kindness of God, you can put the word grace there too. The kindness or the grace of God is, is released into your experience when you're weak. Uh, people that share with me sometimes, yeah, I really don't experience the, the grace of God or I, I really don't know, you know, you talk about the kindness of God, I really don't know that. And and the answer to that is kind of simple. It's just kind of simple. If you got it, or you believe you've got it, then what need do you have of the kindness or the grace of God? There has to come a point in our lives where we don't have it. We don't got it. And we just need Jesus. 
You know, you hear those sayings like, well, there's no atheist in a foxhole. Why? Why? Because situation is out of your control. You might die any second. And you recognize your weakness and you recognize your need. Why is it? Why is it, are people open at funerals to hear about Jesus a lot of times? Because maybe they recognize that, that they're going to die too one day and it's out of their control and the illusion of control is shattered. The illusion of strength is shattered and they recognize maybe they got some need in their life. Oh, the kindness of God, the grace of God. Okay, right. But that's how we release that kindness into our lives. How we release that grace into our lives. How we release it into our experience. It's like, it's like does, does Jesus show us grace? Sure, He's showing us grace now. Does He show us kindness? Yeah, He's showing us kindness now. But are you experiencing it? You want to release that into your experience and you're going to be weak. You're going to have need. You're going to be honest. Legit need that you recognize and you cry out about. That's how it gets released into your experience. Now these verses tell us something about the, the kindness of God, at least in the life of David. It says that the kindness of God, the grace of God, is, he's very kind to David because, why? Why does it say in the verse? Because why? Because he was faithful. Is that so hard? Is that so hard? Everybody wants a formula. Everybody wants a formula. What's the formula? Be faithful. Just be faithful. And sometimes it's not easy to be faithful. Sometimes it's inconvenient to be faithful. Sometimes being faithful isn't what you want in the moment. But you make a bigger decision because you're faithful. Maybe you don't feel like it. Too bad. You're faithful. You see, the greatest enemy of faithfulness is you and your selfishness. That's all. It's simple. It's very simple. Making a decision in the moment to... Go after your own selfishness. Yeah, that gets in the way of faithfulness in your life. It does. But David, David was faithful. Now, what was I saying about David? Was David perfect? No! No! And all the religious people in the world, they always want to point out about David not being perfect. What does the Bible have to say about David? The kindness of God was evident in his life. He was very kind to him because he was faithful. Did he ever make a mistake? Sure he did. Did he do things he shouldn't have done? Sure he did. But what was I talking about before? This idea is that did he walk in? Was he on a journey of? And did he have a lifestyle making progress in? Fill in the blank. Faithfulness. Yeah. Yeah, that was his life. That was his experience. That's the story we have about David. It's a story of, of journeying in faithfulness. It's a story 
of journeying in humility. It's a story of being obedient. A story of being faithful to a king that was trying to kill him. That's the story of David. And he journeyed in that and he and he found his way and he progressed through that. So God was very kind to him because because he was faithful. And so, can you lay off yourself if you make a mistake? You better. Alright? Because that doesn't define you. It defines a moment that you need to learn from, you need to grow from, and you need to move beyond. But it doesn't define you. David had his moments, but he was faithful. David did things he shouldn't have done, but he was faithful. David learned from his mistakes, but he was faithful. He experienced and released the kindness of God into his experience daily. He did. Because he recognized his need. With faithfulness comes a sincerity. And, and all that's all that means. It's like, alright, well... I'm just sincerely, like David was sincerely, he liked God and loved God and God loved him. Sincerely. Like at the end of the letter, sincerely David. I love, dear God, I love you, sincerely David. That was it. And so that sincerity is important in understanding that that's his heart. And God looks at the heart, that's kind of God we serve. He had a disposition toward God. He had an obedience toward him and a respect and a regard. And and you read and, and people will say things like and I was as I was reading some of the notes for this passage, there was a, a quote there that says, A holy walk. H O L Y. And holy is in quotes. And I want you to think about what does a holy walk look like? Well it's a journey. It's a lifestyle. It's a way of progress. That's what it is. It's having the right direction. Sometimes when I hike, I get confused. After a certain number of hours at a certain temperature in the driving freezing rain or something. And I'm not, I'm not ashamed to tell you that. I just get confused sometimes. I'll be walking up a, a trail and I'll come to a split in the trail, and I don't remember which way to go. That's just how it goes sometimes. Now, if you show me on a map on a regular day where I'm not freezing, I'm not wet to the bone, and I haven't been hiking for a bunch of hours, I could tell you exactly which way to go. But when I'm in the moment, and everything looks the same, because it's covered in snow, and there's two ways I can go, I don't know. And so what I do before I leave is I take bearings on a compass. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, that's okay. You don't need to understand this to understand what I'm about to say. I take bearings on my compass, which gives me a number. And so when I get to a path, I point the arrow on my compass toward one path, and I look and say, is that the number? Because I write them down. 
That's not the number. Then I pointed at the other path. And I looked down at my compass. Look at my paper. Is that the number? That's the number. That's the way to go. And it wasn't because I could make that decision in the moment. It's because I had made that decision already. And I had written it down. And I had a reference. And I was able to look at the reference and look at my position and know where I should go. Now, I couldn't prove it beyond that. You know, I couldn't prove that's the way I'm supposed to go beyond that. The only reason I know that's the way I'm supposed to go is because I had already made that decision before I left and I'd written it down and that's what that told me. And sometimes in life, you're going to have to make your decisions ahead of time. Sometimes in life, you're going to have to write yourself a note to remind yourself about that decision. So that when the time comes and you find yourself in the situation where that decision seems, seems, appears to be harder, more difficult, the decision's already made. You want to be a faithful person? You need to make those decisions ahead of time. There's always that trail, there's always that path, there's always those weather conditions, there's always your physical condition, there's always your emotional condition, your mental condition, whatever it is, that you're going to face something, and all of a sudden, a clear, clear direction that you would always know which way to go, all of a sudden you don't know which way to go. But if you have it written down, faithful, what direction you're supposed to go in, go that way. Even though you couldn't prove it in the moment, you know that's the right way to go. That takes a little planning. It takes a little decision making ahead of time. That means you need to trust that decision later. Sincerity. Disposition. This is the way of progress. You, know, you talk about doing the right thing. You know, Solomon's talking about his father doing the right thing. Well, what right things did David do? Well, he worshipped God. That guy liked to worship. I mean, look at the Psalms. I mean, how many did he write? Lots. You read in the Bible, he liked to dance, too. That guy would dance. That guy, he could sing. He could write songs. He liked to worship. He liked to lead people in worship. David also believed God. He's somebody that had the right way of seeing things and the right faith to believe God. Start from the time he was a boy all the way up until he was a grown old man. He believed God. He had that faith in God that was the right thing. And he practiced what he believed. He practiced it. He lived it. He grew in it. He let that become a part of him. And then in turn, it became a part of his son and his family. Perfectly? No. No, not perfectly. That's okay. It did become a part of him, though, and it became a part of his family. He had something that you really don't find very often, and that is he had an honest heart. He had integrity. He was honest. 
with himself and he was honest with God. Sometimes people say things to me and I wonder inside of me if they really believe what they just said. I do. I was standing with a pastor one time down at West Point and uh or outside of West Point in Highlands Falls, New York. And we were outside I was with his two of his sons outside, we were playing basketball. And uh so we were just playing a pickup game or whatever. And one of his sons looked at me, serious, just serious, he looked at me, he's like, I'm gonna play in the NBA. I'm like, You are? He's like, Yeah. Now this kid was you know, a young teenager, but I don't even know if he was five feet tall. Okay? I mean, I was towering over him. I mean, I could block every shot. I was in my 20s, but I mean, still, you know, that's a bold statement. I'm going to play in the NBA. And I can remember just standing there thinking to myself, do I say anything? Nah. I think he really believes it. Yeah, I'm not going to crush the dreams of a 13-year-old, you know. But when you see grown people doing stuff like that, saying stuff like that, you got to wonder sometimes, like, do you really believe that? Do you really believe you're the greatest that ever lived? Or whatever your statement is, that bold statement? You know, whatever. I mean, we have to be honest with ourselves and honest with God. You know, that, that's integrity. Is that I'm not, I'm not trying to be something I'm not. I'm not trying to convince myself, and I'm not trying to convince other people. I'm not trying to convince God that I'm something I'm not. Integrity is just, I am what I am. I am who I am. When the Bible talks about purity, purity has, has a really simple meaning. It just means one thing. Something's pure, it's one thing. And God talks about that as having a pure heart. Just one thing. Just what it is. At the end of this, this passage, Solomon repeats something he says. He says that, that God continues, he's making the statement about himself. He's like, God continues in kindness toward him. He talks about the kindness that he sees God having for his father. He sees the kindness that God is pouring out onto his dad and, and why he's pouring out on his dad. But then he's like, but God's also continuing in his kindness toward me. That's Solomon speaking. In other words, it's in his nature to continue in kindness. And if you don't see God that way, let let him begin to change you. Let him begin to change your mind about him. That he's kind to this person. Well, yeah, that person is special. No. He's kind. And it's in his nature to be kind. It's in his nature to continue in kindness toward those that came after. Solomon understood that. He wasn't afraid of that. He was like, well, he's kind to my dad, so he's kind to me now. I'll take that. I'm not one of those kind of people that's like, oh, I, I need to do it myself. No, I don't. <laughs> All right? He's kind to he's this person. He'll be kind to you. Good. Good. I'm glad I know that person. 
I'm just thankful. I'm thankful that I, I have a relationship with whoever we're talking about. And I'm sure Solomon felt the same way about David. Felt the same way about his father and, and him continuing in that kindness that God has. It is nature to be kind. And that kindness is reserved. And that word continuing means that his kindness is reserved and kept for me and for you and for us throughout our lives, as it was with David, and beyond his life through his son Solomon. So God's kindness is so big that he's so kind to David, that kindness extended beyond David's life into the lives of those that came after him. That's how big his kindness is. I like that. That's how big his grace is. It just extends. It keeps going and going and going. Awesome. Last thing I want to talk to you about is the idea of how this is brought about in us. The Bible talks about, uses some words, says to be wrought with. Like wrought iron. Anybody know what wrought means? The word. Hmm? Yeah, it's created or shaped. That God is fashioning and He wrought in us. We're being wrought with kindness and grace. We're being created and shaped and fashioned with kindness and grace. That's how the process takes place in our life. What process? All of them. All of them. You want wisdom? Ask for wisdom. He's going to rot. He's going to create. He's going to shape. He's going to fashion wisdom in your life with kindness. Kindness. What else is Faithfulness. Well, you know, faithfulness is wrought in our lives. It's, it's created and shaped with kindness. That's how he does it. That's what happens. That's what takes place. That's how, when. That's the nature of how we grow and how we see things happen in our lives. Think of something that you've been asking God for. All right? Just think of, I want to have a bigger heart toward people around me. Well, that's going to be wrought in you. That is going to be created and shaped with kindness in you. And what, what might that mean? Well, maybe you'll start finding yourself in situations where you can care about people. You know what's funny about that? Or not. That's the kindness part. Or not. Your choice. You asked for it. Here's your opportunity. Or you want to ask God, say you're asking God, say, well, you know, I want to move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit more. Okay. Well, that'll be wrought in you. There's a work that takes place, a creative work in you, a, a shaping and a molding and a fashioning in you so that you will move more in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But He does it with kindness. So what happens? You're in a service. You get a word. Oh, I think I got a word. Should I give it? Well, I don't know if it's really God. Well, it could be God. Maybe I should give it. I don't know if I should give it. What if I just look stupid? Um, uh, I don't know what I should... Oh, moment passed. Okay, here's the kindness of God. You're going to get another shot at that, aren't you? Yeah. 
What if you start giving a word and you messed up? You're going to get another shot at that, aren't you? That's the kindness of God. You see, we need to start approaching these learning times with Him, these fashioning times, these creative times, these shaping times with Him. We need to begin approaching these things as times of kindness and opportunity. And if we mess it up, it'll come up again. If you look stupid, you'll get embarrassed for a little while, but you'll feel better later. you get another shot at it. Good. Take it next time. And, and if we can get over the performance anxiety that's been hammered into us when it comes to anything about God or church, anything, if we can get over that, be a lot more freedom and liberty, a lot more move of the Holy Spirit. You know, I find a lot of people that complain about there not being the right move of the Holy Spirit are the most uptight, performance-oriented people that I know. Lighten up. Relax. Get into the kindness of God and let Him flow. Because you're there too, right? Let Him flow. Through you. Let Him flow. Why aren't these other people letting Him flow? Who cares? You let Him flow. And we'll all be good. Uh, I like that. Sort of. I just know that if we could get over it, get over ourselves, and get over the anxiety, it shouldn't be there anyway. There'd be a lot more freedom, a lot more liberty, and a lot more move of the Holy Spirit in our midst. A lot more of the gifts flowing. A lot more wisdom. A lot more joy. A lot more song. A lot more dance. A lot more of all of the things that we really value. The artistic expression. All of it. If we just get over the anxiety. And we live in the kindness. And we take the opportunities when they arise. There's so much more God wants to do in us and through us. So much more. So much more. And if we could just look at this and recognize we need some help. I don't have it all together. I need some help. There's a lot of kindness ready and waiting for you and for me and for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you're in the business of shaping. You're in the business of creating and fashioning and making stuff in us. You're in the business of fashioning us into the men and women that you called us and desired us to be. You're all about it. And you do it with kindness. More kindness, more grace than we can even see or understand right now. So I just say thanks. Thanks for the kindness. Thanks for the opportunities. I pray, God, that you would release us from fear and anxiety and the things that hold us back and the things that they keep us frozen I really hate fear. 
really despise fear. And let that, that perfect love of a Heavenly Father drive it out of your heart and out of your mind. Thanks, God. I'm just going to say we need you. I'm just going to say we don't have it together. I'm just going to say that we, we need more of you. And as we ask specifically for the things that we need, I just thank you. Thank you that you begin to fashion it and begin to make it and begin to, to shape it and create it in us. Thanks, God. Thanks for just showering us in kindness as we're on the path as we're growing and as we're becoming. Thanks for your kindness. Give you thanks tonight. I pray your word would really sink in somehow. Not just I heard it and I forgot, but it would sink in somehow. Like we just put it into practice or something. Started living it. I pray it be so, God. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Let's be by saying amen. Amen. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the comunidad. Yeah, so there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. Yeah.